we'll sing verses 1 through 5. It's a short song, so we'll sing all of it. I love my King and Lord. By a former president of Princeton, Timothy White. Sixty-seven verses one and three. Not too fast, and not too slow. It's it's got a lot in there. You know, good. <laughs> I will do the intro and then I
2 and 4. 370 verses 1, 2, and 4. <coughs> about the things that are happening right now. Maybe you're like human, you know, but uh, that's a good song. Last billows. Let's go to Exodus chapter 21. Two-part lesson, beginning at tonight, part one. What got me thinking about this chapter and chapter 22 is what happened to the car dealership up the road on Dillingham Boulevard. You may have heard that excellent motors got robbed they have to go. Five cars were stolen. Somebody broke into the window of the building and stole five cars. And they also stole 100 keys of other, of other cars. So they are really in a bad situation right now. And I thought about one thing. If they catch the thieves, what would they do with them? And I think in the book of Exodus, there is a Old Testament rule about what should happen to those who commit crimes. They will not likely catch them, but if they do, and other criminals, what would they do with them as far as punishment? Roman prison? Okay. But what would happen to the people who were defrauded? Will there be restitution? We hope so. And that'll be next week, restitution. It's a word in Genesis or Exodus 22. It talks about full restitution, make restitution, make restitution, chapter 22. And it goes back into chapter 19 where we begin our context of this chapter 21 of Exodus. They are now heading into the promised land. Not yet, but they have gotten the law from God. Moses went up to the mountain and he was dictated the law of God, the commandments, not just the ten, but other laws as well. That's in chapter 19. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai 
and uh, God gives him the law. And then he already made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15 regarding the land of Canaan. It's theirs. It is given to them, granted by God's grace and in his and in his uh, sovereignty, in his um, will. And so they have the land. They're marching toward it. It will take a long time to get there. But when they get there, it's going to be their land. They just have to occupy it. And so the law is now given alongside the covenant of God to Abraham and to his descendants. And so they're anticipating going to the wilderness and entering into Canaan. And when they get there, they have a law now. They have a law. They have the moral law, the Ten Commandments. They have the ceremonial laws, uh, the right way to worship God, to sacrifice to Him, perform rituals and festivals. They have that in place. And then they also have civil laws. The civil laws are to govern everyday life in Israel. And so many different kinds of laws are going to be given in chapter 21 and 22. Many different kinds of laws to cover many kinds of issues, many kinds of subjects, all kinds of things. When you read chapter 21 22, you are thinking, wow, there are so many things that can happen in the life of the Hebrew, in the life of the nation, in life of really everyone. And so specific laws, civil laws, ceremonial laws, uh, all of this is temporary, remember, that these laws are given to Israel to be a distinct nation in the land separated from the nations around them, the heathen pagan nations. And so turn to chapter 19 for just a minute and look at chapter 19 verses 4 through 6 and you will find out that the law was given specifically to Israel, not to the church, not to Gentiles, but to Israel. In chapter 19, important thing to know, verse number 4. Verse 3 tells us, Moses went up unto God. Now, when you read Moses in the Old Testament, what image comes to your mind when you read Moses? Do you see an image in your head, in your imagination about Moses? I think of one person when I think of Moses. The image is stuck in my head since I was a boy, Charlton Heston. The Ten Commandments. And that great epic by Cecil B. DeMille. And Moses, not Charlton Heston, Moses, the real Moses, the original Moses, went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings. That's quite interesting. Some take that literally, that this will happen in the tribulation, where the Jews are going to be hidden from the Antichrist, born on eagles' wings, and brought you into myself. Verse 5, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and of a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And so you find here that they are going to have a law. They've got that. They are going to have a covenant. They've got that. And in the land... They will be separate from the heathens around them. They are going to be different from them. Not like them, but different from them. They are going to be a holy people, a peculiar treasure unto him. Above all people. Doesn't that sound like this is not white privilege, but Hebrew privilege? God, in his providence and will, has chosen Israel to be his people. Not because they're large, but because they're small. And many other reasons why. Who can guess why God... Well, we don't know, but he just did. It's stated here. And there are to be a peculiar people, and they have peculiar laws, peculiar rituals, peculiar ways of um, having their society run in an orderly, safe way, particularly special, unique to the nation of Israel. And so they would have to execute that. But it's all temporary, because when Christ came and he died on the cross, then the law ended. And so Galatians 6.19 says that all of this is temporary that you're going to read. It's all temporary. And therefore, you should not take the Old Testament rituals and sacrifices and all the different details about what the Levites are to do, what the people are to do. All of these things are not applicable doctrinally for you as a Christian for the New Testament. It is stated here from the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. We learn from these things. There are principles we draw from. And we get blessings from them. We see things that can be applied in principle even today. But they're not for personal salvation. They're not to be executed in a sense of it's not literally as they did back in the Old Testament. And so it fulfilled 
was fulfilled in ending with Christ on the cross, never intended to be a means of perfect salvation. Having said all of that, chapter 21, chapter 21 of Exodus. Verse 1 says, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them, his people and his nation. Uh, these judgments, chapter 21, 22, and 23, they contain many laws and regulations on many subjects prefaced by the word if. Now scan through your Bible in chapter 21 with your finger. doesn't matter which one. Look at verse 2. If thou buy Hebrew servant. Notice the word if. Verse 3, if he come in by himself. Verse 4, if his master have given him a wife. Verse 5, and if thy, the servant shall plainly say, verse 7, and if a man sell his daughter. Whoa, what? Verse 8, if she please. Verse 9, if. Throughout this chapter, more than 40 times you count, you count the word if there. In chapter 22, you find the word if there about 19 times. This, this giving of the law the words, the judgments that Moses is given by God to give the people are to cover a multitude of issues that can come up. If this happens, do this. Now, if he says, and this then you do this. So, if, if, if scenarios. So, you're about to read some things that cover some potential scenarios, some potential circumstances. What shall they do when this happens? Well, here's what you do. Go back to this, and we're going to do this. If, 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 if. All right, so it covers many, many situations in their <coughs> culture in their society and he tells that the judges will decide what to do when they hear the evidence all right these regulations you're going to find out are fair are fair and they're necessary they are fair and necessary people today cry about oh that's not fair that's not fair well in the old testament when god gave these statues it was very fair and it was very necessary for the people, as they moved along into the promised land and the occupied promised land, they were to live like this according to his law so that things are done fairly when there's an injustice. Things are done fairly when there's a judgment to be made. Things are done right with respect to people and the situations that the judges would make. And so they have a guideline here to follow. Uh, treatment of servants. Employment laws are all covered in these three chapters. You have murder, manslaughter, bottom assault. What do you do if these things happen? Well, Moses covers it right up here. And there's a list that I have here. I won't read that because I hope to cover these uh, more, more next time. But uh, all these particular things are covered here for the people to live in a safe society, a safe culture. And when judgments are made, it's going to be fair. Don't you like when things are fairly judged? And evidence is examined, not just hearsay. You want to have it. If you're accused of stealing someone's ox, and don't you wish that someone would judge the matter so that you are guilt-free and so on? Well, that's what that's all about in these chapters. Uh, chapter 21, verse 2. If, if thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came by, in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If, it's like saying, but if, if he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. Now, what do you see so far on the surface in these verses about slavery? Now, the word is slavery. Sometimes you look at the word, you say servant. All right, it says servant right there. And uh, there's a connection to the brutal slavery that we know about so much. But that's not what this is. And let me just explain here that if a man comes in, uh, in, in verse number two, verse two, if thou buy a Hebrew servant, apparently you could buy someone as a servant. Now, this is not anything new because way before the Hebrews became a nation, did you have slavery? Did you have abusive slavery? Harsh, cruel? Remember, the Jews came out of Egypt and who put a heavy burden upon them while they were in Egypt as slaves? The Egyptians! Harsh, harsh, cruel. Well, the Jews did not perpetuate harsh, cruel slavery. In fact, as you read through these verses, the Jews, the Hebrews, God's people were very humane, very respectful. They had devalued the dignity of the human and of a man who had a soul. He was not treated like an animal. 
And so he says in verse number two, if thou buy a Hebrew servant, this is Moses recognizing that this was common in the time in ancient Israel and in the ancient world. It was common. The Hebrews did not, and the Old Testament and the New Testament does not, did not create slavery and did not perpetuate slavery and did not encourage slavery, the abuse of slavery as we know it. Africans selling Africans to Europeans. Well, that happened. And this is not to, to bring up many details of the millions of slaves and the millions that died aboard ship crossing the Atlantic Ocean and so on. And no, no, this is about to say that the Hebrews were allowed to buy a servant because it was common to them and common to the world around them. But watch carefully how humane this was and how, how decent it was. Verse 2, if thou buy a Hebrew servant, a common thing to happen this time, if thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve. How long shall he serve? Just six years. How long were slaves, slaves in the, the carnal, worldly, cruel, brutal way that you read about in history books? Until they died. A lifetime. But this is a servant. Six years shall he serve. So you buy a servant, slave. His term is for six years. There was a limit to his being a servant to being a slave. Six years. Not forever, not his lifetime. And this was really indentured servanthood. A period of time. Not eternally. Watch verse 2. If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years shall he serve. He shall serve. And, and in the seventh the seventh year, it's a good year for him. And I don't mean tires. It's a good year. He shall go out free for nothing. So the servant is bought. He serves his master for how many years? Six years. It might seem like a long time. For most of them, perhaps. But for some, it went by quickly. Well, let's see. And in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. He's set free in the seventh year. Look at verse 3. Condition. If he came in by himself, he was a slave alone. He's a single bachelor. He came in by himself, bought as a slave. He should go out by himself as a, as a free man. If he were married as a slave and his family came with him, then his wife shall go out with him as well. That's pretty fair. The whole family unit is kept intact. They're not separated. Now, verse 4. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne unto him sons or daughters, the wife and his children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. Verse 5. Now, that's a limitation on the servant uh, period of time. It's not forever. So that's kind of really different from the brutal, cruel slave that you read about and how the Christians and the founding fathers were accused of being really cruel and evil. Now, I don't know how long the founders... Uh, had slaves for, but I know that a lot of them were treated very, very well, and they wanted to be slaves, you know, uh, they didn't want to be free. Well, look at verse 5. Now, here's another if. If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. What is he saying? In verse 5, the servant, the slave is saying, my six years, my six years, the first year was kind of tough. But but the beginning of the second year, I kind of suspect that my master really treats me nicely and well. I've had good food these 12 months. I've had days off. Uh, he's not crude. I made a mistake or two, many mistakes. He did it with me. He just said, no, this is why you need to do this. He treated me very kindly and fairly. He expected me to work, which I did, and he... Uh, even gave me a well done, a thumbs up when he did a good, when I did a good job. So my master was really good to me. And as time went on, as the years go by, third year, fourth year, and fifth year, I began to think, well, my six years is about over, and after that, I'm supposed to be a free man. I'm set free. Which is, I have a choice now. He says, I have come to love my master. I've come to appreciate him being kind to me, even though he expects me to work. And when the time comes to set me free, I'm going to ask him if I can still be his servant. I want to serve him because I've come to have affection for my master. 
because he's so kind to me. Firm, but he's kind to me. He lets me drive his car to get it washed at the car wash. He trusts me. He trusted me. He lets me, and you can imagine how that could have gone. And so the servant plainly says in verse 5, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go off free. Then his master shall, verse 6, then his master shall bring him unto the judges. So now there will be a formal declaration, a formal statement saying that my servant who I bought six years ago, seven years ago, uh, he now wants to continue serving with me. I provided lodging for him and uh, given him some comforts. I've treated him almost like he belongs to me, like he's part of my family. And uh, he does good work. He's respectful, honest, hasn't stolen from me. I don't have to lecture him about doing the job and not. I was um, talking to a man retired from the city and county of Honolulu, Parks Department, maintenance of the bathrooms. And we're just talking. This was on Monday. He said, oh, you know, Sand Island Beach Park, run by the state, so dirty, grass not watered, dusty, bathrooms, oh, no wonder the park has been uh, almost hated by people, locals and tourists, because it's so unkept. And then we took it over, city and county. And he says, we began to uh, take care of the, the grass, we began to water the grass, we began to clean up the bathrooms, we began to cut the grass on time, we began to do things to make it, now he says it's real nice. I don't know if it is nice or not, but he said that. He says, I've been on this job for 33 years. He says, and then I asked the question, knowing what, knowing that the answer was going to be something like what I thought. I said, what about new hires, hiring younger people to work city and county jobs? What's it like with them? He says, he does this. <laughs> uh, he says, they don't want to work. He does with his hands. They don't want to work. What do you mean? Well, we hire them, we train them, we show them what to do, give them the equipment, we work and things like that. He says, but they're looking at the clock all the time. What time is it? Is it time, time 3.30? Is it break time? Hour and a half, is it break time? And it's about break time. You know what they do? They, they put the stuff up, they go down, they rest, and they expect it because in a minute it's break time. They take their breaks a little bit early, and their breaks go a little bit longer. He says, ah, these people. And then he goes on and complains more and uh, I'm listening to him. He says, you know, when I was hired, when I was hired, we worked, we were grateful to have a job. He says, these kids nowadays, and these could be in the 30s, he says, we're so desperate to have people work a full day. He says, these guys, they get time and a half on holidays, double time, all these kind of benefits. He says, they want the benefits, but they don't want to work. This slave, the slaves here, they worked. They had no choice, of course, but they worked and they did a good job. They did a better job probably because their boss, their employer, their masters showed respect to them. And so they felt that and they worked very hard for their employer. And so now the time has come for them to be free, had a right to do that. And so now they are petitioning to be still servants. So there's a ceremony, verse number, verse number six. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. There will be another word for awl. It's not awl. It's A-U-L. Awl. What's another word for awl? What, what instrument do you think about when the awl was brought? Look what the awl does. He shall serve him forever. Uh, bore his ear through. What does that mean? Bore his ear through. That means you get an instrument and you're going to bore a hole through his ear. You know you see guys do with earrings? Okay, that's not good for a guy to have an earring, all right? And now girls can have earrings, but the, the all would be he'd get his ear at the doorpost of his house, the master's house, and they would puncture his ear with an all. This pen's got a pretty sharp point, and I'll bet it could puncture your hand if with, if with enough force. Don't ever play like this. This one's really sharp. It's a Pilot G20, G2, 0.38 pen, fine tip, which means this is very sharp. This thing can poke right through your skin. Don't play with it like that. Anyway, they would get that thing, and they would get a hammer and go like this, and they would, they would pound this all 
into his ear. Of course, they were heard for a minute. They would puncture it. There'd be a hole here. This was a ceremony, a public testimony. There would be witnesses watching this man, this former this slave still. He used he, to be free, but he doesn't want to be free. So now they're going to puncture his ear right through. This is to mark him. This is to identify him as a servant who wants to continue being a servant. He does not want to be free because he loves his master. And so he is going to be a servant for the rest of his life, living on his master's property because he loves his master. So there's a sermon given over here. And then um, you want to find out that in verse number, verse number six, it is a ceremony, a very light ceremony, but then he is marked forever. We'll look at the mark later on in the New Testament about that, but I want to see that uh, I'm thinking, um, how is a servant become, how does a Hebrew become a servant? Or this, how does he become a slave in the Old Testament economy? Well, number one, Leviticus 25. Let's see how you become a slave or a servant. Leviticus chapter 25. When you bought slaves, you had to have a supply of slaves or servants. Uh, the word slaves uh, offends some people in this world, but when you went to buy servants, where would you go? Well, just like you go to the market to buy fruits and vegetables and meats and so on, you would go to a slave market. Again, not crew like the world has done it, but you go to a place where it was part of the tradition, the customs of the ancient worlds of every culture, where they sold people. Well, you got to be in a slave market for several reasons. Number one, one, according to Leviticus 25, come to verse number, oh, let's see, 39. <coughs> 39. Let's see the first way in which a man can qualify to be a servant or a slave and he even wants to be bought so he can work. Verse 39. And if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor. There's poor and then there's those who are waxen poor. This is not just poverty. This is deep poverty. This is not just someone who is poor but someone who is so poor he perhaps cannot take care of himself. He can't feed himself. He's not able to do something. We don't know why, but apparently this man is able to work because, but he's poor, whatever the reasons. Uh, wax him poor and be sold unto thee. Thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bondservant, but as a hired servant and as a sojourner. He shall be with thee and shall serve thee unto the year of Jubilee. And then shall he depart from thee both he and his children with him, and shall return unto his own family, and unto the possession of his father shall he return. For they are my servants, which are brought forth out of the land of Egypt. Now uh, they shall not be sold as bondmen. Thou shalt not rule over them with rigor, but shall fear thy God. Both thy bondmen and thy bondmaids, which thou shalt have, shall be of the heathen that are round about you, of them shall you buy bondmen and bondmaids. And so you have a man in deep poverty. He is sold. At least he'll eat. At least he'll have food. At least he'll have a place to live. So it looks like he sells himself yes, he to somebody. He voluntarily. And, and that person pays him mm -hmm. to be his servant. Yes. So in a way, it's not even like slavery. Yeah, he's, he, he's doing it to so live. Yes, yes. That's a very interesting thing that this man has done. Um, he's, he's literally selling himself to be a servant. That's very interesting, that first reason why a person can become a servant. Here's another one. Uh, Exodus chapter 21. Exodus 21.
Exodus 21. You're thinking? I was thinking that that's an unusual situation yeah. that somebody is actually going to go work for somebody else. So it looks like the norm was for somebody to be self-employed, mm. to work for himself. Yeah, I wouldn't, I would he's willing to work, he's willing to work. It's like someone today saying, um, you know, we see on the streets, on corners, I'm a veteran, hungry, willing to work. It's kind of like that. The man here and people there at that time were probably very sincere because they committed themselves to work for somebody uh, and I'll do a good job for you. And if you don't like me, well, I'm, you know, don't pay me. That kind of attitude. Probably that person will do a better job than somebody who just appears to be and so on. I think you understand. The second thing, uh, a father sells his daughter as a servant into a home with the intention that she would eventually marry into that family. Exodus 21, verses 7 through 11. If a man sells his daughter to be a maidservant, so the daddy sells the daughter as a servant. This is not cruel. This is not cruel. Now, I don't care what the five says on, is it the five? Well, that's Fox, no, the women on the network TV. Um, I don't know who they are, but uh, there's five women, I think. There are uh, the view, the view. No matter what the view says, um, they'll probably object to something like this. I can't believe daddy's going You know what? They have, they just need to read the Bible, study it, and see the context of this. It is not cruel at all. It's not uncommon. All right, where am I? Verse number seven. If a man sells his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servants do. If she pleases not her master who hath betrothed her to himself, then shall, shall he let her be redeemed. To sell her unto a strange nation, she shall have no power, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. And if he have betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the man of daughters. If he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall he not diminished. And if he do not these three unto her, then shall she go out free without money. So what you find is rules, specific rules and regulations about these kind of issues. So it's not just, I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing it's not harsh and cruel as the world has done it. This is very humane. It's very much regulated. And it's very carefully uh, crafted so that somebody has a need fulfilled and a need met. Uh, another one would be bankruptcy. If a man could not uh, pay his debt, then a someone from his family could be taken to be a servant. You find it in Second Kings chapter four. Remember the same story, Second Kings chapter four. The fear that this, this mother had. Second Kings chapter four, and uh, let's come back to verse number one. This but the widow's pot of oil. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Well, it seems to be have been a common practice to take someone from the family to pay off the, the debt that the homeowner owns. So that's another reason why someone could become a slave. And then uh, Exodus 22, Exodus 22. It's about a thief. Exodus 22 verses one, two and three. If if, another if, if a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox. That's restitution. Five to one. And four sheep for a sheep. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. If the sun be risen, 
upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then, then he shall be sold for his theft. So there is another reason why, the fourth reason why people become slaves or servants. A thief cannot make full restitution, so he becomes the object of serving to make up for the restitution. Now, um, in verses 2 and 4 through 4 of chapter 21, you have six years serving, and then the seventh year you are free to leave or to stay. Now we talk about the ear being bored through by it all, and you find out that the man, once again, voluntarily wants to be a slave to his good master, which has spiritual lessons for everyone now, because this arrangement is mutual. The master wants him, the servant wants now to be in this new status of a, of a freeborn slave uh, because of love, and the duration from six years now is now forever. From six years to forever, until he dies. He is in danger, he's worked for a set time, the six years, but now he wants to work for the full life that he would have for his master. As long as they both shall live, he will want to serve him and be a loyal, faithful servant to his good master. And so, uh, a willing slave for life, a bond slave. Now, in verse number five again, he says, I love my master. And so, uh, he has come to feel that way toward his master. And now, in light of his feelings, he has approached his master. And there's a ceremony, there's a consentment in both parts, an agreement. And so, it's now motivated, his love is the motivation, not debt or obligation. His motivation is love. He loves his master. Now you should be thinking this means something in the New Testament. This means something spiritually that the slave now has found out that his master is so good to him and now he wants to serve him for the rest of his life, not just for a short period of time. He doesn't want to just serve when church is on. He wants to serve even when church is not on. He doesn't want to just serve because he's in a place where other people are serving. But he wants to serve no matter where he is. He wants to serve his master forever, the rest of his life. You should be thinking about a spiritual lesson about somebody in this world in this time, not in the Old Testament, but in this time. And uh, Psalm 40, come over to Psalm 40. This is interesting, I think. Psalm 40. Psalm 40 and verse... Let's look at verse 1. Work our way down to the real important scripture verse in this short chapter. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is he, is that man that maketh the Lord his trust. And respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to the lies. Verse 5. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than count you many less than them one by one. See? Verse 6. Sacrifice and offerings thou dost not desire. Watch carefully. Mine ears, mine ears shall thou open. Burnt offerings and sin offerings thou hast not required. So the ears that have been opened, it's kind of like the ears that have been punctured. My ears says thou no, has you. Now, the relationship of the servant forever is like God to his, the, the son to his father, and also the Christian to his Christ. And so the ear that is open is like the ear that has been punctured, a hole has been made in the ear to indicate this is now a servant forever. By choice, because of love is the motivation. Uh, look at verse number 8. I delight to do thy will. Ah, so, I delight to do thy will, O God, yea, thy law is within me. Just like the servant loves his master, the, the father, the father who delights in his son, also the son delights in his father, I delight to do thy will, O my God. So, prophetically, Jesus Christ is saying that about his father, and he delights to do his will. Like the Christian, he likes to serve his God because of love. So, there's a real strong parallel there. And Jesus Christ, you would say, was a perfect bond slave 
to the Father. Philippians 2, 7 tells us about that. And so that all, that all represents something. It represents uh, Christ being nailed to the cross, he being punctured, and in every sense of the word, uh, a true act of complete consecration to his Father. Likewise, the Christian is not just a slave treated harshly, because the commandments of God are not grievous to him. First John chapter 3 tells us about that. And so uh, the writers of the New Testament consider themselves to be servants, servants, servants. The opening line of Romans 1, James 1, 2 Peter 1, and Jude 1, they identify themselves as Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, a servant, a servant, a servant. What kind of servant is this? A servant has had his ear punctured. A servant has had his ears open. A servant has willingly desired to serve his master forever. Now, it has been written that pagans had a custom of branding the slave with the name of the master or a sign of the owner on his body. Well, that's kind of like, that's kind of like um, the hole, the ear being punctured. It's a mark. Now turn to Galatians 6. Here's something to think about in this verse. Galatians chapter 6. Sometimes this verse is read where the marks, the marks are the scars or the, the stripes that Paul suffered as a Christian, as a preacher for Christ. Galatians chapter 6. And verse number 17. From uh, henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The marks, what would you, it could be the physical stripes, the physical punishment, abuse, persecution, he has faced life and soul, but it is also to say that he was a, a, a slave for Jesus Christ. It's like to say that the mark here is like his ear was punctured voluntarily, willingly for the love of Christ. The love of Christ constraineth me. And so that would tie into that as well, to that scripture. And so this is a picture of a Christian who wants to serve Christ voluntarily, willingly because of love as the motive, not because of obligation. Although that's all part of it too. And so this is our service, our identification with Christ, the punctured ear. Everyone knew this servant is now willingly, forever, a servant of his good master because that hole in his ear. Oh, look, oh, look, look, look. See that hole in his ear? He's right here. See that? Yeah. He's got a good master. Look at that guy. Look at this. Look at what's. Look at the hole in his ear. It, 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 it's kind of, kind of closing up. But look at that there. He, he got all. He got punctured. You know what? That means he has a good master. That means he's a slave by choice now. That means. He loves his master. Amen. Don't try to don't try to um, get him to uh, do something underhand business-wise with this guy because he's not going to do it because, look at his ear. He's got a mark that says he's loyal, faithful to his master. Look, he wouldn't do that unless he really loved his master. Don't try to get him to defraud his master. He's not going to do it. And so that's kind of like the life of a Christian as well. And so a picture of our, our not, we got to serve him because we we'll get the merits if we don't. Uh, if we don't be loyal to Christ, then he will not. No, no, it's because because of love as the motivation, we will serve him, not just for a period of time, but for all the time. Because it's a life that we have in Christ. Motivated by love for our master. Now, more time next week on restitution. A lot of details about that. Many different scenarios, many different cases in these two chapters about restitution. And the principle is, Restitution is healthy, it is good, it helps a society stay, stay safe, and when restitution is not enforced, then of course you have people saying sorry, but the victim is left with nothing. The victim is left with nothing. We'll look at what the Bible says in the Old Testament, which gives us the principle about how restitution should be carried out, and how it is right for a repentant man a repentant thief, a repentant transgressor, to prove his sincerity by his fruit. By their fruit you shall know him. And when a man says he's sorry, then he will prove his sorrow by godly sorrow, but not only saying so, by expressing it, but also by replacing, by replacing what he has taken illegally. Replacing 
not just replacing it, but going above and beyond, like Zacchaeus, maybe fourfold. But that is just to say, you know someone's really sorry, because look at what they're trying to do. Look at what they're trying to do. I'll give you a quick illustration. I'm done for tonight. But uh, if, a, if, a man is, if a man is throwing rocks at your car when you pass by in your neighborhood, a boy, not a man, if a boy is throwing rocks at your car and you stop and you go out and you scold him, you tell his father, the father scolds him, the boy says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then he'll say, I'm not going to do that again. And then you say, as the driver of the car would get pelted by this guy, and then the father of this boy he hoped that he would never do that again because he said, I'm never going to do that again. I'm so sorry. He's crying. I'm never going to do that again. He's sorry. I'm never going to do that again. You want to believe him. The next time you drive by, the next day, he's throwing rocks at you again. You say, I can't. Is it that same boy throwing rocks at my car? I can't believe this. Yesterday, he got scolded. He says, never going to do that again. I can't believe this. You stop again, back to his house, talk to his father. His father's home. doesn't work, I guess. <laughs> the father, and you, he's, son, what? And the father's really upset now. Here's what you're learning. You're learning that the boy's not really sorry. He's just saying he's sorry, but by his actions, he's showing he's just saying he's sorry to not get a, a good a good spanking or something. And so if he is really sorry, what will he do? He will make restitution. Not only will he stop throwing rocks, number two, he'll make restitution. He will go to the owner of that car and say, I'm so sorry that I can I wash your car? Can I try to Whatever, whatever. Can I do something for it to, to make up for my bad behavior? The, the man's going to say, you want to do that? Well, this is going back to the 1950s. This is unusual. This is 2003. I never remember. Okay, sure. Are, are you sure? You see? So that would be a real restitution. And he might do more to prove his repentance. And so restitution next time. All right? Okay. Bible's a very practical book. Father, we pray that you bless the word of God to us, help us to see its value, its principles in this time, even though this is an old chapter, uh, many centuries ago when it was written, and uh, not for us today to follow for our personal salvation, but there are principles we can follow as a society, as individuals, to help us to have a, a safer, a safer uh, society, a safer culture, um, more respect uh, for everyone's property, everyone's person, more respect for private property, public property. Uh, everything is better when some of these principles are carried out even today. And if it takes something like uh, punishment and restitution to help someone fear or someone uh, straighten out, then, then so be it. That's what needs to be done. And so we pray to help us to not resist what the Bible says, but uh, go along with it because we know that it is good for us personally and good for our society. And so help us, Father, to remember these things and uh, give a blessing from it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.